Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Uh, it's the beginning of summer. It's the beginning of summer. And for me, that meant a sort of nostalgia would come about. And that nostalgia is Christmas music. It's a nostalgia that each summer comes to me because of my dad, not because of me, because of my family, not just me. For 24 years, he's been a faithful Baptist minister at a church nearby. And so every summer on our way to uh, the warmest places on earth in the South, we would bust out the Christmas music he needed to consider for that Christmas annual tradition coming up in six months. I know, you're envious. I can feel it all the way through the screen uh, of my childhood growing up. And so to this day, I am one of those few notorious people that sing Christmas songs all year long. Say your farewells, call me a heretic, but I know the lyrics of Christmas songs better than most pop music. Now, some of you may know that one of the oddest references in Christmas music is to mistletoe. Typically, if you think long and hard about these seasonal songs, you find something wrong with them. And questionable is an understatement for them, such as the reference to mistletoe, like, why does the singer want you to go kiss her under the mistletoe? And why are you both kissing her? That's kind of weird. And did anyone ask her if she wanted to be kissed? I don't know. Uh, Questionable at best, again. Now, aside from the shady references about mistletoe, in the Christmas seasonal songs, mistletoe is a hallmark decoration. Uh, you can find it in your houses, maybe, or around uh, the certain stores you may visit. But uh, a- about mistletoe itself is it's an evergreen shrub that's found on trees, making them colorful and their berries and their leaves. The mistletoe seems to be a tree, or seems on the tr- tree to make it alive, seems to be alive. But in fact, the mistletoe is a harbinger of death. What we discern it as an odd tradition in Christmas time is actually a parasitic shrub that locks its roots into the branches of the tree and sucks its nutrients out, slowly killing it. And because of its parasitic ways, it's been called the thief of the tree. What seems to be beautiful on the tree or a pretty ornament to hang out in the, uh, in the hallways or to, for some of you, maybe kiss under is actually a sign of death and decay. Think about that this Christmas season. Uh, in six months, you know? Uh, The fruit is actually poisonous. It won't kill you, but it'll make you sick. It's toxic. But fruit trees are completely different than that. Trees that bear fruit aren't like this at all. Their fruit is a sign of life, a sign that they are alive and replicating who they are at the core of themselves. And the fruit, for the most part, is good for the body and good for the soil. Nothing like the facade of mistletoe. Out of the mistletoe on a tree, there's fruit that kills, fruit that signals death. Out of the fruit tree, the fruit, of li- fruit is life itself, benefiting the body and benefiting those around it. And the same is true for humans. We produce who we are. We bear fruit, whether good or bad. But we can all agree it's easier to spot the difference between a banana and an apple than the fruit in our own lives. 
how do we know that this, the sort of fruit that God is looking for in our lives, what does it actually look like? What does it mean for us to have fruit as we follow the way of Jesus? And, and today we're concluding a series that we've been exploring for the past couple of weeks of what is fruit? More specifically, what is the fruit that God is looking for in our lives? What does it mean to bear good fruit? And today we'll answer those questions by looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. So you can turn there if you want to turn there with your, your device or with your uh, handheld Bible. Uh, it's a classic passage on fruit of the Spirit. And what we'll see today is that the writer to the Galatian church, Paul, makes it clear that the person who produces good fruit isn't simply someone who does the right thing or has the right behavior, but is actually the right kind of person, a fruitful one. We'll see that a life in the spirit produces a fruitful person, not just fruitful behavior. Let me say it another way. A life in step with the spirit doesn't solely make us do the right things, but makes us into the right kind of people. But don't take my word for it. Let's dive in to the letter to the Galatians. If you're not familiar with Galatians, uh, I just want to provide some background to it real quick. The Christian movement was born out of the cradle of the Jewish Messianic movement. The idea that God would give the Jews a king. But it was promised and later fully unveiled in Jesus that this was a king not just for the Jews, but for everyone for both Jews and non-Jews, that is Gentiles. And so by the time Paul's writing this letter to the Galatian church, many non-Jews have come into the family of God. And where we pick up today is towards the end of a heated letter where Paul is directly confronting some agitators about the one family that Jesus has created. Someone or someones from outside the church that Paul helped plant has come in and begun to tell non-Jewish Gentile Christians that in order to really be the people of God, they got to live like a Jew according to the law, not simply by faith. These someones are fake teachers, false teachers, agitators. These false teachers have suggested that you cannot be in a right relationship with God without looking like a Jew. So you need to observe circumcision, food laws, and the holidays or the calendar on top of having allegiance to Jesus. Now, at the heart of these agitators is what Paul calls flesh what we can refer to as self-centeredness, self-dependency. They feel a true entitlement to be the golden boys of God. They want God to pat them on the back, and they want the followers of Jesus to pat them on the back as well. They want them to believe their every word. They're about themselves. And so Paul goes to great lengths throughout Galatians trying to argue the purpose of the law, the purpose of Jesus, and this one new family on the basis of faith. These believers, he says, have nothing to add to their faith because faith is enough. It gives them Jesus's faithfulness. His right relationship is now theirs. As the Colossians, uh, the letter to the Colossians says, they are hidden in the Messiah. So looking at chapter 5, we parachute in and we find Paul is telling the Galatians that because of what Jesus has done, the Torah or the law, which is good, isn't necessary any longer. And that's because the spirit of Jesus himself has come to live in the Christians, come to reside in them because of their faith. And the spirit does what the law could not do. The Spirit produces the ability to become the type of people they're supposed to be. The type of people who love one another. So look at verse 16. I'm going to read it for us. Verses 16 through 26. This is what Paul writes to the Galatian church. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In verses 16 through 18, Paul is continuing this whole argument that the law can't produce the kind of person that God intends us to become. That's what Paul later calls the fruit of the Spirit. Only the Spirit can keep us in step with the way that God wants us to go, away from the flesh. And in verses 19 through 21, Paul lists out the old way of living, what the flesh produces, what it looks like how the flesh manifests itself. He lists these out, uh, these things out which the law could never fully correct. And it's a host of things. Eugene Pearson, in his uh, paraphrasing of this passage, says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. The kind of life that pours forth from a life set on self-centeredness will produce self-centered living. Self-centered people live self-centered lives. The sort of life built on oneself produces toxic fruit for the individual themselves and that which is around them. It's a bad tree, very bad fruit. In the next verses, Paul lists out the fruit we've been looking for, this fruit we've been discussing this the past few weeks, the kind of life that develops out of a life living in the Spirit, the kind of fruit we are seeking with our lives as followers of Jesus. And he says the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, uh, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit we've been wondering about, the fruit that we've been questioning about. Now, what's particular about this fruit that Paul is writing is his not a set of actions or behaviors. No, they're characteristics of a person. It's describing what sort of person you should develop into. The fruit, of, fruit God is looking for is not simply behaviors, but being. The correct fruit is the fruit of the Spirit that changes a person at their core. It's the fruit from being in step with the Spirit. Now, based on what we just saw, hopefully it's clearing up what I said at the beginning, that life in the Spirit produces a fruitful person, not just fruitful behavior. So let's dive into those ideas. First, looking at what is the fruitful person? How does it relate to fruitful behavior? Now, for so long, the church is focused on what sort of things you should be doing to determine whether or not you're a healthy member at their church. I know this firsthand from doing ministry for a few years. Uh, You look at a person, how active they are in church. Uh, Okay, they're doing this, that, and the other, so they must be doing well. They must be doing well. But here, the fruit of the Spirit that's listed points to what sort of person you are. What sort of person are you? Because the life spent stepping with the Spirit is a person whose inner life, their true disposition has changed, not simply their behavior, not just their actions. The goal is a complete transformation of a person. Just a chapter earlier in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul says that he is in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in the Galatian church. The word Paul is using here is the English word we say formed, but the Greek word from which we get our English word morph. 
The Greek word utilizes here, that's utilized here is the idea of a baby being in a mother's womb, being formed into a human being for one day when they're birth. What Paul is saying here is that the Galatian church, and therefore we ourselves, are being shaped into the person of Christ. Paul was in pain, hoping, waiting, that the church would be made more like Jesus in their whole personhood, not just in their behavior. A really instrumental book that's aided my study in this passage has been John Ortberg's book, uh, The Life You Always Wanted. And commenting on this particular verse in chapter 4, he says, When morphing happens, I don't just do the things Jesus would have done. I find myself wanting to do them. They appeal to me. They make sense to me. I don't just go around trying to do the right things. I become the right sort of person. This is a fruitful person when desires are aligned with behaviors, with our actions. When desires are aligned with behaviors, with our actions. But the great question is, how do we do that? How do we align who we are, who we are at our being, at our core, into what we are actually doing? How are we made whole disciples who want to do things that Jesus did and do them and delight in them? And that's what Paul hints at in life in the spirit. How are we made into the right kind of people of God? Fruitful ones? It's through life in the spirit. According to 516 verse 22 and 25, it's the spirit. We're to walk in the spirit, to live life in the spirit. But what does that even mean? What does it even mean to live life in the spirit? The language sounds locational. It sounds like we have to go somewhere where the Spirit is. We must go visit Him or walk alongside Him where He's at. Is it a place? Is it a church? Is it a prayer closet? The scriptures and historical Christian thought would say, no, it's not a place. It's a practice. Or better put, it's a set of patterns. A set of practices. These practices serve as a place to meet with God. These are certain set of habits that lead us to a place to meet with God and there be changed by him and enjoy him being made into his likeness. Throughout Christian history, these practices have been called spiritual disciplines. We've seen them in the characters of the Bible and in particular throughout the life of Jesus. These disciplines are what a trellis is to a vine that bears fruit. The vine utilizes the trellis to put it in a position to bear fruit. So are these practices, these spiritual disciplines, they provide structure and habits for us to be put in a place to bear fruit by the Spirit's power and guidance. The trellis, the, the discipline itself is not the goal. You don't just want a piece of wood that upholds a vine. That's not the goal. The goal is the fruit, God's presence, becoming like him, enjoying him, and becoming that fruitful person. The fruit is the goal. Put another way, these disciplines placed in our lives put us in a place to be changed by God to produce fruit. And it's the difference between trying to drive a speedboat by an engine across a lake through self-determination and riding in a sailboat, casting one sail and being carried along by the spirit across the water. The disciplines act like structures, building your life up like a sailboat, ready to be carried along by the spirit as he wills to shape you. You set your sail through the spiritual disciplines. You are carried by God's wind. It's not about being a person who prays hours on end. It's about being a person who prays in order to be changed and to join with God in change. 
It's not just about memorizing scripture because that's what you should do. It's about knowing the scripture so you could be transformed. Now, I don't want to go too far down that trail of talking about uh, all sorts of different spiritual disciplines you could put into your life, but I do want to offer a few. There are disciplines evidenced in Jesus' life, like, uh, like fasting or study, prayer, solitude, and Sabbath that we should do too. But other examples Christians have uh, put into place are things such as, stu- uh, such as worship or slowing, service, solitude, silence, and secrecy, which we do see in the characters of the Bible and in Jesus. We each have to look at our own lives and determine what kind of disciplines we can put in place to grow in the characteristics of Christ. Again, John Ortberg says this, if my problem is that I'm doing something I ought not to do, I need to practice a discipline that will strengthen my not doing muscles. Flip it around. If I'm not doing something that I should be doing, I should practice a discipline where the spirit can meet me and strengthen my doing muscles. The goal then is to put practices in place to become a fruitful person who does fruitful behavior. A life that has set its sail to be carried along by the wind of God. You can't change you, but you can put the, the sail up to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, I want to offer two real pitfalls to this whole discussion. Spiritual disciplines have always come with baggage. Always come with baggage. So, I want to offer two pitfalls that uh, really get in our way of being fruit-bearing people. First up is play-acting the part. Play-acting the part. Play-acting the part will serve as a serious barrier to us because it's not about a transformed person. Consider one of Jesus's constant contenders, the Pharisees, the Pharisees. Jesus called them hypocrites, hypocrites. A hypocrite in Jesus's day would be a play actor. Someone who put on a mask, acted out a part in a play. In our day, when you say hypocrite, you're usually calling someone out for doing the opposite of what they said they would do. But for Jesus to call someone a hypocrite was to say, you're playing the part, doing the right things, doing many things right, but inside you aren't aligned with how you're behaving. They really lived according to the law. Sure, they had some things off, but they did a lot. But internally, they were dead. The wrong kind of people doing it for the wrong kind of reasons. Too many of us do the right things out of the wrong heart. Too many of us do the right kind of things out of the wrong heart. Things that seem loving or kind or generous or hospitable in the depths of us, we haven't allowed the scriptures or the spirit of God to transform us yet. What's worse is the church is no longer alarmed by it. We're not surprised when people don't change. We expect people to be there, but we're not surprised when they don't change. The alarm bells haven't gone off when people aren't transformed more into the likeness of Jesus. The kind of fruit that we want here are characteristics, not just people showing up. We aren't surprised that someone can spend their time in church anymore and not be changed into the person of Jesus. These qualities are qualities of person like love, gentleness, self-control, patience. Take, for example, this recent, uh, the recent lynching and execution of George Floyd at the hands of four, white police, uh, four police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Is it not utterly eerie that today is actually Pentecost Sunday, the day when we celebrate that the breath of God, a fresh start to the church through the Spirit of God coming into the people of God so that they go forth and do that same mission that Jesus begun that is coming days after Mr. Floyd could not breathe. 
being choked out by police officers under the supervision of whiteness. The brutal murder of Floyd is a shame to the white majority, which has allowed certain people to stay in power and allowed certain people to be protected only by the law of the land. Right is the outcry for justice. Right is the desire for accountability, for charges. But what we don't need in this moment is simply for white brothers and sisters to raise up their voice through a Facebook post. The need is not simply for right actions. We need righteous people, people of justice, not people who simply seem to be doing the right thing on their device. As a white man, I need constant transformation in my own being so that I can be the right kind of person to fight the long haul of social justice. Much more those who are just now hopping in. The fight for justice has been before us and will probably be long after us. And simply doing something because you don't want to be left out, simply doing something because you feel the pressure, is as good as what James says in chapter 2, verse 16, go and be warm, but give them nothing to eat and nothing to clothe themselves with. It's not enough. It's not enough to just say something and not do something in the long haul. And you have to be transformed to walk this long path. We need people who will walk the long journey towards social justice for a righteous America. People of sacrifice, of integrity, of submission, nonviolence, and purity, of gentleness, and action. In no way, I, I don't want to take away the power of social media. Indeed, it, it, we are here in, in, in this moment because of the power of social media. But do we ultimately think that whiteness and white supremacy will bow down to our digital posts? This is a long road. We need people consumed with wanting to do the right things, and then doing them. But that takes inner transformation of a person. Along the same line, we need preachers and teachers who love well, not just speak well. We need preachers and teachers that love well, not just speak well. Children's ministry leaders that are, as, that are patient and gentle, not just available to show up. Life group leaders who are, who, who are hospitable and pure, not just able-homed and married. We need influencers who are as quiet as they are heard. Those who are consumed with God's voice more than their own. We need entrepreneurs who are as honest as they are cunning and creatives who seek the spirit of God as much as they seek to be seen. We need someone that is holistically devoted to Jesus, not doing good Things We need transformed people who are themselves in the process of transformation in order to do the evangelical work of, of revealing new creation. So that whenever situations present themselves, you don't just do the things Jesus does, but you want to. You want to do those things. And you do what he did. The second pitfall, pitfall uh, I think, is the confusion between training and trying. Training and trying. Far too often, we think that we can just try to be like Jesus when situations present themselves. But in reality, in order to live like him, we need to train to be like him. Let me offer an anecdote for you. For those of us who are in Dallas, uh, you may know that uh, Mark Cuban is opening up the facility. So let, let's just, just pretend real quick. You get a call from Mark Cuban. He says, hey, we're opening the facilities again. They're coming open. We're, we're, we're going to risk the whole coronavirus thing. And, and we're going to have practice. And I want you to be there. You're on contract. Come play for the Mavs. Fantastic. You show up. You have all the honors. All the excitement of playing with the best athletes ever. You'll be watched and seen by millions. Maybe make it into a video game. You get all the gear. And you're going to get paid. 
You're a lifelong fan. You've watched the games, all of them. You've watched college, NBA, WNBA, anything that was on at 2 a.m. in the morning that was a basketball game from 20 years ago. You've watched them. So you've seen how the pros play. You've made tons of hot sports opinions on players' styles and coaching strategies. So you buy all the gear you can, you drink a protein shake, you head out the door, and you make it to practice and try to fit in. The problem is you only know how to imitate Curry. The problem is you only know how to put your tongue out, but you can't dunk. The problem is you just have the shoes on, but in a moment you're going to be crushed. Why? Because despite all your training, you have not trained like a professional athlete. You don't eat like they do. You don't train like they do. You haven't given your body over to the discipline. It requires to shoot like Curry or dunk like Mike. You can do all you want by trying, but once they throw you the ball, you're going to be squashed. Dallas Willard communicating something similar using an analogy of baseball says this, a baseball player who expects to excel in the game without adequate exercise of his body is no more ridiculous than a Christian who hopes to be able to act in the manner of Christ when put to the test without the appropriate exercise and godly living. Surely living and being like the son of God requires at least as much training as being a professional athlete or learning the violin or becoming a lawyer But so many of us who know we need to be patient with our children just expect that when we wake up tomorrow, we assume that when the ball is tossed our way and our kids are screaming at us, we'll just try really hard and be like Jesus. You cannot expect to respond like Jesus if you haven't lived a life similar, patterned after the way of Jesus. When the moment presents itself, you cannot willfully align your disposition and your behaviors in the moment's notice if you've not been training for them. You cannot be expecting to be a naturally hospitable person if you just try to be one when the moment comes to you. When that random person just shows up to your door and you're like, yeah, sure, come on in. Just like when the rock is in your hands and giant athletes are defending you, you are not going to make that shot. You can't just be a violinist because you've watched symphonies. You can't just be a doctor because you've been to the doctor's office. Simply put, You must live a life of training to become like Jesus. As Paul puts in one of his other letters, it is a training unto godliness. Even Paul said that he beat his body into submission so that he would not be disqualified for what God had called him to be. And this is language of athletic training. He didn't do push-ups. He didn't do sprints. He might have. I don't know. I'd never pictured him doing that. But his life was one of a life arranged around the spiritual discipline so that he could behave on the spot like Jesus. If you rely on just trying to be like Jesus in the moment and are lacking any sort of training regimen, there is a likelihood you will miss that target. We need to arrange our lives, set the sail in our lives to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're just trying to, trying to just speedboat across the lake just by your own self-determination and you're going to run out of gas. You cannot do it by yourself. We need to arrange our lives according to a set of practices or training habits that put us in a position to enjoy God and there be changed by God's spirit and then live as we're called to live. Now, in conclusion, what we've seen is that God is looking for fruit in us and that fruit is that new creation, that new person that he's begun in us. It's not about doing a lot of correct things, although behavior is involved. It's inextricably linked that what you do and what you are are linked together and form each other. 
But more than ever, it's about becoming the sort of person that's made into the image of Christ. But as you consider, where do, where do we go next from this? I need you to, to know this. In order to become like him, you have to start with where you are. You have to start with where you are and not where you think you should be. That's why I've recently heard a pastor say, you just need to start where you are, not where you think you should be. If you think you should be a more prayerful person for hours on end, you are not going to succeed by setting up a five-hour gap window each day and just get it done. Maybe you just need to put down the phone and make a practice of putting down the phone and picking up prayer. Start where you are. In fact, in July, we'll do a basics of walking with God and we'll discuss more what spiritual disciplines look like. So selfish plug. I'll get to teach that with Ryan Sears. Uh, He's probably gonna give it all to me, but you know, we're gonna do that in July. Finally, you may not follow Jesus at all. And all this is probably a bit overwhelming. The good news is this, is that Jesus has come to save us from a life of just trying to pretty ourselves up and into a life of becoming more like him, a life that's full, a life of abundance, a life of peace. If that's you and you want to know more, then you need a text response to the number that we've been showing often today. The good news is that if you feel the weight of not being the sort of person you should have been by now, that is a holy compass in you that God has given you not to condemn you, but to draw you in. To draw you into a certain set of living, to live life in the spirit, to bear fruit, the sort of fruit that he's looking for as a whole new person where your desires and your behaviors are aligned. And yes, it requires effort. I think it's Willard who said this too, that uh, the Christian life is not one without effort. It's one that is not based on entitlement. So far too often, we think that any sort of structure of discipline is legalism, but that's not the way of Jesus at all. It's hard to follow Jesus, but it's much easier and better than the way of the world. It requires effort. It requires effort, but it is at the same time without condemnation. You are hidden in Jesus, in his goodness, in his understanding, in his gentleness. He delights in us and calls us to something even better than we could imagine for ourselves. And so, typically, whenever we hear a sermon, we spend a time in contemplation. We spend a time in contemplation. And during this time in contemplation, we want to consider, what has God called you to stop? What has God called you to start? What has God called you to believe? And what has God called you to share? What has God called you to stop, start, believe, and share? Take a moment to pray through that. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.